Church, I was reminded this morning as the choir was singing what a privilege and what a responsibility it is to stand before you and to proclaim God's word. Let's look at God's word once again today. Let's invite him to speak to us. Let's long to see Christ, the gospel of Christ in the pages of scripture. So open the scriptures with me today to Mark chapter 12 uh, as we continue uh, our message series titled Altars. Uh, We spent much of this year in the Gospel of Mark. We actually uh, worked through the Gospel of Mark uh, during this time together on Sunday morning. We completed uh, that task, and now we return to uh, a couple small uh, passages in Mark's Gospel uh, as we continue the theme of altars. We began this series several weeks ago uh, considering the altar of the cross and the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross a sacrifice for us that compels us, that leads us, that shapes us, uh, that calls for a response from us uh, to live our lives uh, in various capacities, in various ways uh, for his glory. And so today we turn to uh, Mark once again as we consider the altar uh, of my money. But I think as we as we journeyed through Mark, one thing that we noticed, I hope we noticed, uh, was that there was uh, a building tension between Jesus and the people, uh, especially between Jesus and the religious leaders, the religious elite. A tension uh, that perhaps was an overflow of Jesus's uh, boldness in confronting the hypocrisy of the elite of his day. In turn, the elite, the religious Leaders and teachers often looked for a place uh, to capture Jesus in his, in his teaching. Uh, they looked for an opportunity to, to stump Jesus and to stump his knowledge of the scriptures. And on one such occasion, uh, a teacher of the law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the greatest? And perhaps you're familiar with that uh, encounter. And Jesus responds, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, listen to how he responds. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, love the Lord your God with all your being, with all that you are. And then he goes on and he says there's another uh, command that's, that's uh, closely connected to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think an overflow of the first, as we love the Lord, we will then begin to love uh, our neighbors. But what does it mean to love Jesus or to love the Lord uh, with all our heart? See, in Jesus' day, the heart was uh, the the seat of the mind and the will. And so so to love God with all of our heart is to love him with all of our our mind, with all of of our will. It's for God to be uh, our greatest desire, uh, the source and object of our devotion, uh, and a central uh, character and object in our regular thinking. And to love God is to worship him. To love God is to worship him. Perhaps you know I hope many of you know that worship is one of our three core values here at Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Our mission statement uh, reads that we exist to glorify God by knowing God through biblical worship. Knowing God through biblical worship, growing together as disciples of Christ, and going going, uh, throughout the world with the gospel of Christ. So what is biblical worship? We're going to talk about worship today and how worship is tied to our lives and ultimately to our, to our giving for the Lord's glory. And as we look at uh, the pages of God's word today, I think we will see that biblical worship, biblical worship includes sacrificial living and giving. Biblical worship, the kind that we are called to, the kind that we are invited to, the kind that 
God wants us to be about biblical worship includes sacrificial living and giving. So let's return to God's Word uh, again and look at uh, two real-life examples of this principle in practice from Jesus' own day. So uh, as you find your place there in Mark chapter 12, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Mark 12, beginning in verse 41. Bible reads this way. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now let's look down to chapter 14, verse 3. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. Scriptures read this way. It says, While he, while Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's bow in prayer. And Lord, we do acknowledge this morning that these words are from you, that they're your words, Lord, that they are useful for us today, that they are right, that they are true. They're instructive and informative. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit's presence would be felt and known among us now, that you would guide us, that you would lead us to, to understand these truths and to respond to them accordingly in a way that proclaims the greatness of our God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. So I think something that is... Uh, noteworthy about these two passages considered together this morning is that uh, these two encounters most likely happened on the same day in Jesus' life. So here in the final few chapters of Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem preparing for the Passover with his disciples. Certainly this is the time that he's, he will be arrested, that he will lay down his life on the altar of the cross for the sins of the world. So here it's likely Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus is in Jerusalem, he's at the temple, he's uh, been uh, confronting uh, and observing and teaching those that he encounters. Uh, And on this day, he enters the temple and he begins to watch and he sees this widow and he makes some uh, remarks about what she has done to his disciples. Then later that evening, he retreats from town uh, to nearby Bethany and he stays with uh, some friends. Uh, and he encounters this, this other woman who 
uh, anoints his head with oil, but two women who make incredible sacrifices, uh, a display of devotion to and love uh, for God. So here's the first scenario. Scenario one, Mark chapter 12, verses 41 and following. Jesus is in the temple, and in the temple, he's specifically in the court of the women. So you may recall that the temple was set up in such a way that uh, there were different points uh, in the broader temp- temple complex that certain people could, uh, could, could go into but not go beyond. Uh, this was named the court of the women because women could not go further into uh, the center of the temple complex than this courtyard. So Jesus is there. He's with his disciples. Uh, this is the location of the treasury. There's 13 receptacles in this courtyard uh, for offerings to be made. Uh, the temple tax was required of men was paid there. Other voluntary offerings, free will offerings were given there. And we, re- we read here that Jesus was in this courtyard. He's observing. He's watching. He's hearing uh, gifts that are made in the receptacles. Mark tells us that Many wealthy people came by and gave large amounts. But verse 42, then a widow came by, a poor widow. She was the poorest of the poor. And she comes and she gives two small copper coins, literally two uh, lepta. One of these coins worth less than one one hundredth of a day's income for uh, a regular day laborer. Even so, Jesus commends her. He makes a comment to his disciples about what she has done, the incredible sacrifice that she has made. So that's the first scenario. Second scenario, Jesus is in Bethany that evening. He's with his disciples. He's reclining at the table, and a woman, an unnamed woman in Mark's gospel, comes up and breaks a jar of very expensive perfume. Mark tells us through Uh, the uh, reaction of those there, that this perfume was rare, that it was expensive, that it was worth more than one year's income. Earlier, when we looked at this passage, I said consider uh, in today's terminology something like $55,000. So on one hand, we have uh, a gift that's that's given to the Lord of two lepta, two small copper coins. And if you break that down, begin to try to do the math, uh, that's something like uh, payment for 10 minutes of work. For an average worker. On the other hand, then you have uh, this woman who, who gives this gift, who anoints Jesus' head with oil out of love and devotion to him that's worth more than a, a year's income. Probably unaware of the significance of what she's doing, she knows Jesus, she loves Jesus, she is committed to Jesus, and she sacrifices uh, for Jesus. But consider together both of these accounts, both of these stories, both of these scenarios uh, recount voluntary gifts. Neither one of these are required offerings. They're both voluntary. They're both free will. And Jesus is watching in each scenario and he's observing. He's evaluating the hearts of those who are giving. Jesus searches the hearts of those who worship him. So I think the Bible teaches, I think the Bible teaches right here and elsewhere that Jesus searches the hearts of those who worship him. He's interested in our hearts. He's interested in the motivation, motivation behind what we do. If you ever watched a movie and during the course of the movie, you try to determine what uh, was the message, the underlying message that the producer was trying to convey. 
course, no movie is mere entertainment. There's always an underlying message or an agenda that's trying to be communicated. And recently, I uh, remember watching a movie and trying to determine that uh, for a given movie. Uh, and I, I paused sort of halfway through the movie, and I said something to Ashley. I said, Ashley, what, what do you think is the message? It was kind of an odd film. What's the message that uh, the producer is trying to convey uh, there? And uh, she told me to get lost and uh, to, to shut up and enjoy the movie, Right? You know, sometimes the message is obvious. Uh, sometimes it's not quite as apparent. Sometimes it's not quite as obvious. But you know, what's incredible about God is that um, that He knows everything. There is nothing that He has to try to struggle to figure out. He already knows. He knows the message and the motivation behind everything we do. He knows our hearts. He searches our hearts. And as God in the flesh, as the fullness of God in human flesh, Jesus also knows our hearts. He also knows these things. And He's evaluating our hearts. He's interested in our hearts. I mentioned a couple times recently the story of the prophet Samuel going to Jesse's home in Bethlehem by the prompting of the Spirit of God to anoint the next king of Israel. This is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And so Samuel goes and encounters Jesse. And first he sees some of Jesse's sons. The first son he sees is a a tall uh, and no doubt a strong specimen of a man. And this is what the Lord says to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I rejected him. In other words, this is not the one. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord's interested in the heart. Of course, you know the story. The Samuel goes on to anoint the, an unlikely candidate for kingship, young shepherd boy David. This David grows up and he becomes the next king of Israel. He's a good king in many ways, but he falls. He succumbs to temptation. He becomes entangled in sin, he realizes the depth of his sin, thinking and reflecting on the depth of his sin. He pins Psalm 51. He prays Psalm 51. And listen to what he says, Psalm 51, verse 16. He says, You, God, do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. In other words, you're not interested, God, in simply outward religion or ritual if it's devoid of inward devotion. He goes on to say, verse 17, he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. You see, God is interested. He's most interested in the condition of our hearts. And every heart, according to the Scriptures, every heart is either hardened in sin and resistant to obedience and submission and devotion to God or a heart has been softened by God's grace and longs to honor Him and submit to Him and obey Him and sacrifice for Him. But according to Scriptures, according to these couple of passages in Mark's Gospel, what we give to God is a reflection of our heart condition before God. I think the beauty of these two stories, these two episodes, these two encounters considered together is that we see that God is far more interested in the sacrifice of the giver than he is in the sum of the gift. 
God is far more interested in the sacrifice of the giver than he is in the sum of the gift. For he witnesses this poor widow put in the smallest amount into the temple treasury, a free will offering. In chapter 12, verse 43, he calls his disciples and he says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Chapter 14, verse 8, similar wording for this other woman who anoints Jesus' head with this expensive perfume, this expensive oil, no doubt a woman of some means. Chapter 14, verse 8, Jesus says she did what she could. She did what she could. A literal translation is what she had, she did. What she had, she did. So, so one woman gives what she has to honor Christ. The other woman gives all she has to the Lord. Similar verbiage used by Jesus Christ to evaluate the hearts of these women who gave these gifts, these sacrifices to Him. No doubt His evaluation speaks highly of each of them. Jesus searches the hearts of those who worship Him. And this same Jesus knows the hearts of those who worship Him. Jesus knows the hearts of those who worship Him. What He searches, He will find. According to the Scriptures, this widow's gift, widow's might, this encounter, this sacrifice, this gift is a greater sacrifice than all the wealthy who gave before her combined. It's a greater sacrifice, it's a greater commitment, it's a greater gift than what they gave. Jesus often warned about outward ritual or practice, even external sacrifice, religiosity that's devoid of inward devotion. Confronted those who simply were going through external motions, but whose hearts, whose lives were not committed to the Lord. Dad, I think there's a word and a warning in that for us today who live in a culture decreasingly so, yes, but who have been living in a culture in which it's been popular to be loosely associated with the name of Jesus, loosely associated with the church, a nominal social Christianity that's often more about social connections and perceptions than it is about surrendering and serving the Savior. I think Jesus would confront us when we fall into that category. I think Mark, by recording this encounter, this scenario where he does, is intentionally making a contrast between the widow's might and the religious Pharisees. Backing up to Mark chapter 12, verse 38, Mark says, As Jesus taught, he said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. In other words, for some, for these, Jesus is saying it's a show. It's external. It's about themselves. It's not about the Lord. They contrast that with the widow who made a great sacrifice, who gave from her heart, who showed devotion to the Lord. And we see a similar thing when we consider Judas's position in the second story. Mark doesn't mention Judas. He mentions that there were some who opposed 
this great gift of the oil, the fragrance, the sacrifice. Well, John tells us that Judas was one who spoke up. Judas the betrayer. Judas spoke up and uh, opposed this. Why can't we give this money to the poor? Why can't we sell this and use this money for the poor? John tells us a side note that Judas really wasn't interested in the poor, that Judas was the keeper of the money bag, and he liked to use what was in the bag to pat his own pockets. Again, external religious talk, devoid of inward devotion. Friends, how's your worship? How's your worship? Is your worship characterized more by externals, by ritual, by practice, by observance, or is it an overflow of a heart that's been captivated by the mercy of God? You see, worship is a matter of the heart. Does Jesus have your heart? For when God has our hearts, we begin to live for Him. God has our hearts, we begin to live for Him and for His glory, and we begin to give our best for His kingdom purposes. See, God deserves sacrificial giving. God deserves sacrificial giving. He deserves for the resources that we have, that He has entrusted to us, He deserves for us to use the best of what He has entrusted to us for His glory and for His purposes. You see, this widow in Mark chapter 12, she comes with two small copper coins, all she had to live on for the day. This is what she had to purchase her bread or her soup or whatever she needed to sustain herself for the day, and yet she gives it all to the Lord. Presumably, she could have just given one of these coins. That would have been a great sacrifice, but she gives it all to the Lord. No doubt she was trusting the Lord to take care of her. She was devoted to her God. What about you and me? Are we trusting the Lord to take care of us? Are we trusting ourselves and what we've accomplished in our resources, are we trusting Him? Are we trusting Him so much that sometimes we give in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense by the world's measurements? You see, the world tells us, live for yourself first, and then, if you want, give out of the excess. God says, give me the best. Live for me. Sacrifice for me. Trust me. I will take care of you. Remember Malachi, final book of the Old Testament? Malachi was a prophet. I love the book of Malachi. A little side note before uh, Ashley and I settle on Eli for our, uh, our, our latest uh, addition to the family, our new baby. Uh, I was advocating for Malachi for quite some time, but I got shot down. So any of you that need a baby boy name in the future, near or far, this is a good one, Malachi. You have my blessing. Use Malachi. But Malachi writes, uh, and he confronts God's people. He confronts the, the rulers of his day. He confronts the priests, and he also confronts the people because they're bringing God less than the best. In fact, they're bringing God far less than the best. They've been commanded to give God the first and the best, the first fruits, the best of the livestock. And yet, they're bringing crippled and diseased and maimed animals. They're bringing God the leftovers. They're bringing God what's not useful to them in any other arena. Malachi confronts this. He says, no, God deserves your best. He's provided for you. He cares for you. Give God your first and your best. And church, I am absolutely convinced that as our love for God grows, as our love for Christ grows, then we will begin 
uh, to give to him and for his purposes uh, in a, a correlating manner. So love for him grows. The sacrifice uh, that we make for him and his glory will also grow uh, proportionately. And we won't do so. We don't do so. We can't do so. We mustn't do so to make a name for ourselves or in an attempt to test God. No, we do so because we trust God. And we long for the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you long to sacrifice for the glory of Jesus? Believer, friend, follower of Christ. Christian, do you long to sacrifice for the glory of Jesus? Remember the words of John the Baptist when he remarking about Jesus? He said, he must become greater. I must become less. May that become a personal prayer for each of us in our own lives that Jesus becomes greater, more significant, more obviously sovereign in our lives for the glory of His name throughout the world. Do you long to sacrifice for the glory of Jesus? I'll be the first to say, this is tough. It's tough when it comes to our giving. It's tough when it comes to our finances. It's tough when it comes to our sacrifice. I want what I want, and what I want is not always what Jesus wants. But church, I know, I know that when I'm living and giving for the glory of Jesus, there is a joy and a satisfaction and a peace that cannot be found in any other way. I know some of you know what I'm talking about. Are you, are you longing, do you long to live and to sacrifice for the glory of Jesus? The Veterans Day is coming up later this week. Veterans are some of the most remarkable men and women in our nation, and they are deserving and worthy of our respect and honor and appreciation. But one thing I've noticed from time to time is that sometimes uh, some of our veterans, perhaps more than some of our veterans or uh, military servants, don't want to be recognized. As I thought about that, I think perhaps... That's the case sometimes because they realize that what they are doing is far greater than themselves. They're serving a cause beyond them that it's not about them. That they've seen and they believe in freedom and justice. Or perhaps they see the need for unity and protection and they want that for their families and their friends and the generations to come. And so they serve and they sacrifice And yes, sometimes they even die. But not because they want to earn a badge or a medal or a star. I think they do so most often because they believe in the cause they're fighting for. Christian, do you believe in the cause of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the cause of Christ? Are you spending your life, are you living your life for the glory of the one who made you and who saved you and who longs to be with you both now and forevermore? Do you believe in the cause of Christ? Are you serving the cause of Christ? Do you long to sacrifice for the glory of of Jesus? For if he has your heart, if he has our hearts, then our lives become less and less about me, myself, and I and become more about singing his praises and declaring the riches of his grace. You see, if you're a believer, then you can... Join with Paul and say in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for, for you know, believers, you know, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know the grace of Christ that though he was rich, 
Yet for our sakes, he became poor. Became poor for our sakes so that we through his poverty might become rich. How could we not serve that kind of Savior? How can we not serve a God? How can we not live for a God? How can we not sacrifice for a God who, who gave his life for our good? Do you long to sacrifice for the glory of Jesus? And as a follower of Jesus, are you willingly and joyfully giving to the mission of Christ? Are you willingly and joyfully giving to the mission of Jesus Christ? Together, let's give to the mission of Christ. We sang about this earlier, right? Make us eager, Lord, to give. Cheerful, joyful, willing, willingly giving and living for the glory of Jesus Christ. Are you willingly and joyfully giving to the mission of Christ? Together, let's give to the mission of Jesus Christ. Let's give to make Jesus known here and to the ends of the earth. And you know, there are many good gospel-centered organizations and causes that together we can give to to spread the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. Groups like Compassion International, groups like Lifeline Children's Services, the Alabama Baptist uh, Children's Homes, uh, Jimmy Hill Mission, the Christmas Gift Shop through our local association, the Community of Hope Health Clinic, International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, Disaster Relief. We could go on and on. But church... Perhaps you don't know this, but if you are giving, if you are giving regularly and sacrificially to this church body, then you are already participating in giving to these and other causes for the glory of Jesus Christ. And certainly, as you are led to give to Christ-centered organizations and causes like these and others, then you do so. Follow the Lord's leadership in that. Follow the Spirit's direction in that. Give and give sacrificially and given a way that glorifies the name of Jesus, do so. But let me encourage you first to give to the church. To give to the church. I know that sounds a bit self-serving for me to say that as your pastor this morning, but I say that for far more reason than that because the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. The church is God's design to declare the riches of His grace here and to the ends of the earth for the glory of our Savior. Let's give. Let's give willingly and let's give sacrificially for the glory of God through the church and through Christ-centered organizations and causes the name of Jesus might be known in us and through us and beyond us and despite us for the glory of our God. It's no secret. You, you know this unless you're visiting with us today for the first or second time. Then you know that in the middle of a, a building project and a growing together campaign as we have an addition and a renovation you're an active member of the church or of Sunday school, then expect a, a commitment card to come to your house in the next day or two. And all of us, church, are being asked to pray over this and to pray how the Lord is leading us to give above and beyond what we regularly give to the church for this particular project that is far more than a building. It must be far more than a building. If it's only a building, then it's idolatry. But we believe, I believe, this is more than a building. This is about a body of believers growing together to reach this community and beyond with a message of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. So church, as you receive those cards, let me encourage you, pray over those as the Lord leads you, when the Lord leads you, return those to the financial office of the church so we can know uh, how much we can do together as a church. 
Certainly we'd love to receive those on or before next Sunday so that we can celebrate over the next two weeks what God is doing in us and through us for his glory. You remember Exodus chapter 36? We looked at Exodus 36 last week, the altar of our talents. We saw something significant going on there. We saw the people of God uh, whose hearts were moved. They were stirred by the grace of God to give and to serve willingly and joyfully for the glory of God as they constructed the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 36, verses 3 through 5, here from God's word. It says the leadership, they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Brought free will offerings. Not out of duty or obligation, because they wanted to honor the Lord. So church, may our lives be characterized by voluntary free will offerings in response to God's grace day after day, week after week, month after month, for the glory of God. So we long to worship Him. Biblical worship includes sacrificial living and giving. Friends, are you living and giving for the glory of Jesus? There's no greater cause. No greater, no greater cause than this. No greater cause than the cause of Christ. So let's join the cause of Jesus Christ. Friends, let's join the cause of, of Jesus Christ. A costly Cause, but a worthy cause. Hear the words of Jesus, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It says, Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my follower, whoever wants to be one of mine, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. The way of following Christ is a road of sacrifice and surrender. But it's the road of life and salvation. So friends, brothers and sisters, let's be people who who lose ourselves, who, who give up our lives for the glory of Jesus and his gospel. Church, there's no greater mission, there's no greater cause, there's no greater joy in serving Him, than living for Him, than giving for Him. So let's join the cause of Jesus Christ. No doubt, perhaps there are some here today who have never joined the cause of Christ in any capacity because you perhaps have never trusted in Christ for salvation. The first way to become about cause of Jesus is to turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior, to surrender to Him, to trust in Him, to receive new life in Him as we saw portrayed through the waters of baptism this morning. If that's you, then do so today. Repent and trust in Jesus today. Join the cause of Christ in that way. And also, as we sang about this morning, we know that we are all prone to wonder, prone to go our own way. We're prone, even as believers who have surrendered to Christ, to once again, make our lives more about ourselves than about Him. Well, if you fit in that category, if I fit in that category, then we too need to repent and turn to Jesus again. Joining the cause of Christ, immersing ourselves in the cause of Christ once again for the glory of our Savior.
So let's do that today. You do that now in your heart where you are. Certainly as we respond in a moment, I'm available down front as always. Love to hear from you, talk with you about any of these things, pray with you. But church together, let's respond as the Lord leads us. And Father, lead us now to respond in a way that glorifies uh, the name of your Son, our Savior. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your mercy with us. Lord, and we thank you for calling us, inviting us to be your people, to be disciples of Jesus, to have life in you. Lord, we acknowledge today that there's no greater joy, there's no greater satisfaction than knowing and walking, serving and living for you. Lord, remind us of that today. Now as we respond in a few minutes as we go, fill us, use us, restore us, save us by your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.